I've become a sound reader. I can see laughs. I can <laughs> I can see when Landon makes his breathing sound. <laughs> oh shoot. Matt, okay. who you got? I don't know. We can uh Vince Kenny? Are you close oh, enough to him? He would oh yeah, he would do fantastic. He's listened to an episode. Okay, yeah, you can call him. This is our man. Hi, this is Vince Kenny. Please leave a message. At the tone, please record your message. When you finish this recording, you hang up or press one for more options. All right, I've got my sister Olivia's phone number ready to roll. Hello. Hey, Olivia. Hey, what's up? Not not much. So you didn't know this because I didn't tell you why I was calling from an unknown number. But uh-huh. you, you He's are. He's in jail. On... Matt's in jail. <laughs> I'm in jail. No, you, you Good evening, on... Olivia. Even Hello. better than your brother being in jail. You are on the Speech Guys right now. What? Yeah, the podcast, the real thing. Is this is this live? <laughs> uh, not exactly. Sort of. Essentially. You, yeah, effectively, <laughs> it's live. Uh, okay. Everything you say or do will be recorded and held against oh. you. So, Olivia, before Matt gets carried away, can you tell me one thing? (laughs) Have you ever beat Matt in an arm wrestling contest? Um, You know, not officially, but I have beat him in many other games that he will Mm. never admit. So, Olivia, the episode we're doing today is an excerpt from the movie Jurassic Park. What memories do you have of that movie? Wait, like the original Jurassic Park? The OG. Yeah, the original. The OG. Oh, snap. Um, I've got a lot of memories. Uh, hold on to your butts is one of them. That's true. <laughs> Classic line. <laughs> Said by... Um, yeah, I don't know his name. Well, Sam. what the, the actor's name. That's easier. <laughs> Samuel really. Jackson. Samuel oh, Jackson. Yeah. That's all yeah. I'll that's, forgive that's you. That's right. That's yeah. right. I, I, yeah, in the computer room. I did not know that was Samuel L. Jackson. What? I oh, mean, yeah. at the time when I was 12 I, or 6, <laughs> I didn't know who Samuel L. Jackson was. Well, what... and he also looks like 40 years younger, too, so. I feel like he looks about the, he looks middle-aged there, and he looks middle-aged now, 30 <laughs> years later. Yeah, that is kind of true. <laughs> he's, he's like the real-life Doc Brown. <laughs> well, I was going to ask if you remember that we watched that movie on a tape recording because our parents were too cheap to buy the movie. They just recorded, <laughs> oh, yeah. like, a live version, so when we'd watch it, there'd be, like, commercials for, like, cotton and, like, I can't believe it's not butter, and I don't know. I just remember wow, those. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, we probably sat on the floor and watched it while we were, like, eating, I don't know, soft pretzels and, like, pizza mm. rolls. What do you call it? Pizza supper rolls? Sna- pizza? Supper snack. That was classic. Yeah. Sounds like your parents were spending all their money on snacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we couldn't afford movies. <laughs> You're ready to go. You get all the information you want. You know, this, it says a lot about a person, how they introduce a podcast. So put your own little sure. spin on it. You know, mix up the order, mix up the names, give us new nicknames, bada bing, bada boom. Throw What's some the names at your brother, again? I'm sure. 
The Speech Guys. No, no, no. What's the name of the episode? You didn't stop to think if you should. That's really long. Okay. Well, you didn't stop and ask if you should, according to the outline. Really? Oh. Ask if you should? Just pick one. Just pick one. Yeah, just whatever. It'll work. Okay. Uh, Welcome to episode number 24 with the Speech Guys featuring Matt... Schultz <laughs> and uh, Ross Magic Johnson. Woo! Yep. Nailed it. Landon <laughs> and says it all. <laughs> um, did I cover everybody? No, I'm missing one. <laughs> Remember, best for starts with M, ends with Ike Schaefer. Oh yeah, <laughs> and um, the bald guy from the way. <laughs> yeah, and Mike, Mike the bald uh, Schaefer, and uh, this episode is going to be epic. I can't wait to hear it, and it is called "You Didn't Stop to Ask Slash Think If You Should." <laughs> Exactly. And cue the music. Action. (laughs) No, and action. (laughs) When you see the road from every direction, it will give you eyes, give you hope, it'll give you perspective. I've been back and forth, and yeah, I have. My crashes. Now I've seen the road. It goes every direction. Yeah, so the speech this week uh, is from Jurassic Park, classic movie, a movie I loved as a child and probably watched it at a slightly too young of age. My parents told me to close my eyes at this, the important, or yeah, the bad parts. Um, anyhow, they're uh, watching it again as an adult. There's a lot. That comes up, I think, that's uh, interesting to talk about. But the uh, the speech we're doing is from early on in the movie. So this is before any of the dinosaur attacks happen. Um, spoiler alert, in case you weren't sure if that's what was going to happen. Um, where John Hammond, who is the, the man who's invested and kind of started this park, um, is... And has invited uh, three paleontologists and scientists um, to tour the park and, and hopefully give their endorsement. Um, so they're sitting around a table having lunch and kind of discussing things. When one of the paleontologists steps up and has a pretty stark rebuttal to uh, the idea of the park and a lot of things going on. Um, so just a little context from the movie as to what's going on in the speech. Um, but I think there's a lot uh, a lot to take away, a lot of ways uh, a conversation can go after this, um, especially in light of a lot of recent events. None of these attractions are ready yet, of course, but the park will open with the basic tour you're about to take. And then other rides will come online six or 12 months after that. Absolutely spectacular design, spared no expense. And we can charge anything we want, 2,000 a day, 10,000 a day, and people will pay it. And then there's the merchandise. And I can personally- Donald, Donald, 
This park was not built to cater only for the super rich. Everyone in the world has the right to enjoy these animals. Sure, they will. What, we'll have a, a coupon day or something? <laughs> Gee, the lack of humility before nature that's being displayed here um, staggers me. Well, thank you, Dr. Malcolm, but I think things are a little bit different than you and I had feared. Yeah, I know. They're a lot worse. Now, wait a second. Now, we haven't even seen the part where you have Donald, let him talk. There's no reason. No, no, I want to hear every viewpoint. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Don't you see the danger, uh, John, inherent uh, in what you're doing here? Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a, a kid that's found his dad's gun. It's hardly appropriate to start hurling generalizations. If I may. Um, I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're, that you're using here. Uh, it didn't require any discipline to attain it. You know, you read what others had done, and you, and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you, you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. You want to sell it. Well. I, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. Condors. Condors are on the verge of extinction. If oh, I was no. to no, no, if I was to create a flock of condors on this island, you wouldn't have anything to say. No, hold on. This isn't this isn't some species that was obliterated by deforestation or or the building of a dam. Dinosaurs. Uh, uh, had their shot, and nature selected them for extinction. I simply don't understand this Luddite attitude, especially from a scientist. I mean, how can we stand in the light of discovery and, and not act? Oh, what's so great about discovery? It's a violent, penetrative act that scars what it explores, what you call discovery. I call the rape of the natural world. Um... Before we get into some of the deeper topics, what was your guys' like initial introduction to the film? Um, what were your initial, I guess, when you first saw it? I assume, I don't know, I guess I assume most people have seen it before preparation for the podcast, but what was your first exposure and, and what was your kind of takeaway as a younger person? My two main memories consist of my neighbor, childhood neighbor, Darren, having uh, lots of the Jurassic Park toys growing up. I remember the toys, like, having that imprint. Do you remember, guys, remember this? Like, an imprint of the JP and, like, very, like, military-looking font all over them. And I was sort of jealous because I had a few dinosaurs of my own, but they were just, like, normal biological ones that God made millions of years ago. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted the man-made You wanted the plastic lunchbox toys. version. <laughs> yeah, the replicas of what man made. Um, and then the second thing was I did read the Jurassic Park, uh, the book, and I remember it. We had AR. Did you guys have Accelerated Reader in grade school? We did, yeah. <clears throat> just just low-key dropping that you were an Accelerated well, no, Reader? No, no. Like, everyone did it. <laughs> um. But I remember, and so each book was had a grade le reading level, like first grade, eighth grade, whatever. 
Um, and then a certain number of points ascribed to it if you pass the test, um, depending on how much you pass the test. And I remember the Jurassic Park was was a big kahuna. It was a 20-point book if you managed to pass the quiz at the end. Um, I remember I did read, I read it, I remember I took the quiz. I did not get 100%. I think I got like a 75%, so I ended up with like 15 points. It was still worth it, you know, uh, economically speaking. But the, mm-hmm. <laughs> those are my two big <laughs> memories. I think just briefly, like sort of some things I was thinking about as I rewatched the movie last week was there's like a lot of dialogue, especially with Malcolm being, he, he was not a paleontologist, Matt. He's, he's like a, what's the word? He's a chaos theorist is the most simple way to put it. Yeah, but I, and I that's guess, like, yeah, that's why it's a scientist. Yeah. Yeah, that's a much bigger plot point in the book. Um, Just the idea Hmm. of chaos. Um, So, yeah, I remember that sort of striking me a little bit. And, yeah, there's there's a lot more in the book that, like, they really, really, really briefly visit in the film that just doesn't make as much sense um, outside the book. But, anyway, those are my two big big memories of seeing it, Hmm. watching it. Reading it. I think you're the only person I've ever met who's read the book. Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I just had to look up who Michael Crichton was. <laughs> Are you serious? That's you mean I... Michael Crichton? Crichton. <laughs> yeah. Um, I assume that's a silent ch, but maybe not. Um, yeah. Trained, trained medical doctor from Harvard turned great American biotech catastrophe novelist um i don't recognize many of his other books maybe it was the terminal man turned into the term terminator no he did not do a terminator <laughs> that's the only one that possibly seems like another he also did timeline which was a great book that i read i can't remember the first time i saw it obviously like most kids in the 90s i liked it a lot um I actually still have a Jurassic Park Jeep that now my kids play with, but they're too little to watch Jurassic Park, so they just think it's a Jeep. Um, but I remember my brother and I loved, um, I think Robert Muldoon, I think was the guy. He was like the raptor guy, um, the hunter guy. Pretty much he was just, he seemed like a really cool dude with his like khaki safari type clothing on and he had the gun and yeah. So that scene where he's, you know, he's this clever girl. Oh yeah, the hunter guy. Yeah, joke about that all the time. Um, So that really sticks out is Robert Muldoon. Clever girl. Landon, did you uh, did you watch it as a kid, or did have you only seen it as an adult? Or I did watch it as a kid. I we were um, (laughs) first. I remember this scene vividly in the movie. In that, I usually just wanted to fast forward through it and like get to the part with the dinosaurs. It was like a very long, drawn-out conversational scene, and I never like paid attention to mm. what was going on. I was like, I was always got excited at the point where Ian Malcolm's character like moves the gates and like starts walking into the lab. Like the movie for me didn't start until that point. It's like then, then the action came. Um, but rewatching the boardroom scene here, debating the science of it. Um, it's very fascinating dialogue. I think it's super well scripted. 
Um, and yeah, no. I think, I think we always quote among ourselves his, his lines like life finds a way, which I think he says later on in the Jeep Wrangler. I think he says that in, uh, he says that in the, the lab when they lift the gates and kind of walk in the lab and he was, he was questioning their, uh, because they had the process where you know it was all female dinosaurs to prevent unauthorized breeding, but he was like, yeah, I don't know if that's gonna work, you know, and that that was right. Dropped yeah. that line, which that was a good line too. Like I thought about using that, but it wasn't as much of a like a that concise speech. It was more of a dialogue. But I feel like just all the conversations he had um, in the jeep as they go, I, yeah, he might have had the best dialogue through the whole film, but this was definitely. Um, just like an interesting moral, ethical, conversational question raised that like butts up against progress for the sake of commerce, perhaps. Um, I think it's interesting that like this conversation happens and it sets this like it sets the stage for the it's like this is the philosophical, ethical question that sets the stage for the entire and runs through the entire movie. But, like, at the same time, I bet when all of us thought Jurassic Park, none of us thought of this part. You know, we just thought of yeah. big dinosaurs chasing people. Um, but it's the know. plot driver, is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, I mean, not even driver. Like, the underlying question of the whole film that, like, can make it actually legitimate to talk about for an hour, you know, versus it's also just a really entertaining movie to watch. Um, that you can, you know, sit down and watch for two hours and not think about it, but also be just kind of entertained. Um. So, I I saw Jurassic World. I did not see any of its other sequels because Jurassic World was so bad that it was not <laughs> worth my time. Um, I don't remember Jurassic World addressing like similar questions, and I'm I'm sort of curious now to what Jurassic World was I, the Chris Pratt one, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was one. just a money grab. Two, well, pretty much all of the recent two, ones have been money grabs. Third one or sixth one coming out this summer. Oh, yeah, I've watched some trailer. Obviously, it's bringing the whole gang back together. Alan Grant and Ellie yeah. and Malcolm. Oh, yeah. My, although, God bless his soul, Michael Crichton, I'm pretty sure we're turn over in his grave for everyone after The Lost World. Because he, there is a book, The Lost World, Right. Um, so the first two were both based on on books. Well, I think I think at the point of Jurassic World, where like the park's open and everyone's coming, like they're already past that decision. It's like, will this work? So the fact that they didn't go back and revisit it, um, the the underlying thesis or the plot driver there was like they were making the dinosaurs like angrier and more killer. Having barely even a normal dinosaurs, not yeah, enough T-Rex having action. not even like <laughs> having not even tested in like the reality of the thing they're debating in this movie. So I think the connecting of both themes is like the push of progress towards like, well, it, it's the same question. Like they can make them more angrier and deadlier. So they did, but should they? So it's still yeah. there. It's still there. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we. I don't think we want to spend too much time on this, but but at the same time, it's like 
Really? I mean, people still go to zoos to see the same old, same old animals that God made. It's like, I feel like normal dinosaurs are going to bring enough <laughs> of a crowd. <laughs> Mike's really not a fan of the new franchise. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to see that new Jurassic Dominion, though, and they're probably going to make a sequel. <laughs> Even though they give the impression that this is the epic conclusion. Yeah. I kind of forgot this was Spielberg. Yeah, and actually... That's impressive. Yeah. Another cool thing I didn't realize is that post-production for Jurassic Park was occurring during the filming and production, and like, I guess, initial production of Schindler's List. Mm. So, like, yeah. to have two of these huge, like, monumental projects at the same time is pretty, uh... I don't know. I don't know how you would keep them straight and, like, manage all that. That just seems like a lot. So, thank you, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> um, but to get to some of the the bigger questions that are, I think are present in the dialogue, um, I guess what what parts of Malcolm's points do you think are really valid? Are there any you think that are overstepping their bounds that he does he's not accurate about? I mean, obviously, we know that this kind of foreshadows a lot of the the. Uh, adventure and dinosaur attacks and stuff, but um, yeah, I guess what do you see as as uh, kind of the important parts of or the important points he makes? I think the right off the bat, he he starts interjecting. John's like going on a sales pitch. Um, he's like, "You're wielding this like a kid who's found his dad's gun," um, and then his first long paragraph. Is like you're standing on the shoulders of everyone else. You're, you didn't have any discipline in attaining this knowledge, earning it yourself. Um, and I don't know. I think that makes for good dialogue and like a good quotable line. But I mean, isn't that the whole point of science or progress? Is that you get quickly up to speed and are just you know enough to just be able to climb up on the shoulders yeah you didn't perhaps require all of the discipline to attain it but no one ever is going to in one lifetime if they don't skip a few steps yeah. to the end like i don't i don't th i think many scientists would look at that and be like that's just a dumb hollywood line yeah i i think that yeah i was thinking about that particular line as well i think that's where the book would have a lot there's a lot more content from the book um regarding the development of this technology and you see it referenced in the movie the company ingen um that has a substantial role so i think yeah that this collection of dialogue sort of rests in the book on a lot more content regarding that particular point of discipline and building up that knowledge. Um, at the same time, like, I also think, well, okay, but you still built this Jurassic Park. I'm pretty impressed. Like, I don't think John Hammond is wasting his life away like some useless nincompoop. There's obviously some discipline that was required there. <laughs> so I think that's a little bit unfair of Malcolm. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I understand what he's getting at, too. 
Yeah, later on, so this wasn't one I read out loud, but later on in the dialogue, he has the phrase, oh, what's so great about discovery? It's a violent, penetrative act that scars what it explores. What you call discovery, I call the rape of the natural world. Um, I think that's another line where I think, like, gosh, like, is building a cabin <laughs> discovery or raping the natural world? You know, it, so I, I feel like there's a lot of, um, I mean, it's strong language, of course, and he's trying to drive home a point. But, yeah, I think there are parts that are a little overwrought. Um, but at the same time, um, I think maybe a, a deeper question he's kind of asking with this is, like, what is, like, what, what, is the proper relationship between man and nature. You know, how does nature, how should nature like kind of guide us versus be this thing we completely manipulate, you know, what violates nature and what kind of harnesses it for its full potential, you know? So what, uh, I guess, what thoughts do you guys have on that? Like, yeah, I guess on that topic, like what is, how when man are how are man in relation in nature supposed to relate to one another? So I, I think my point is brief because it sort of just tidies up this introductory point here. Yeah, I think when Malcolm says rape of the natural world with relationship relationship to scientific discovery, that that feels a little bit flippant to me because it seems to be what he's saying that just scientific discovery <laughs> if fundamentally is rape of the natural world. I mean, that that's exactly his words. Um, I, I don't know. I which, feel like, well, sorry, go ahead. Finish your point. I'm sorry. Go finish your point. Um, well, I don't know. There's something else really substantial to add to that. Yeah. What do you have? Like, it sticks out to me that actually I'm glad Matt brought that line up. Cause like you said, you didn't read that originally, but um, another kind of uh, time that, the idea that science is regarded as the rape of the natural world. I'm, have you guys read the grapes of wrath? It's been a long time. I don't think maybe John Steinbeck's novel. Yep. Yep. So obviously like classic, one of the best novel, American novels, whatever. He has a similar, um, description of like machine, like using machines for farming. Um, so the grapes of wrath is set, uh, Dust Bowl, and it's kind of the beginning, I think. Some might look this up for me, but kind of the beginning of using like tractors and machines for farming. And he uses a similar, I think he actually uses the word rape as well to describe like mechanically putting the seeds into the ground. Because um, the, mm-hmm. you know, the earth is being literally, I mean, the seed is getting put into the earth without the earth's consent, I guess. But um, so I feel like that's a second. Um, kind of just fictional, but representation of this idea, um, and kind of posing it as that. And I guess what I what I kind of jumped in when Mike was talking, like I, when it comes to like scientific progress, is it always like that? I think, like, I don't know how Matt worded it exactly a couple minutes ago, but I think it's important to think about: Are we working with nature, or are we kind of working against nature? So, um, uh, and I mean, we can be specific with as many examples as we want, but, um, I'm trying to, so like the idea of, are we from like more of the philosophical standpoint, are we, is what we're progressing towards like 
facilitating or doing the same thing that nature made it to do, or are we actually stopping nature from doing what's intended to do? If that makes sense? So um, are we working with or opposing the natural process? Um, and science can do both, I think. But I think that's an important distinction for this whole topic. So just like a couple things to think about, like I think of vaccines and, and you guys can jump in a little bit if you want, but like our body is made to fight off infection, right? That's how it naturally works. We have an immune system and all that stuff. So anything that would enhance that would seemingly be working with it to mm -hmm. go alongside it, if that makes sense, kind of go, go hand in hand versus something I'm trying to like, uh, like a contraception or something like that, which is like, well, the natural mm -hmm. way of the sexual act is to lead towards pregnancy, not stopping it, if that makes sense. So like, I feel like that science can be used to kind of facilitate the natural process or to intervene and kind of stop or change the natural process of things. Um, and I don't know, that, that just kind of the distinction I think might be helpful just kind of moving forward as far as if we talk about like how and can and when we should use science. I just think that's kind of an interesting, I guess, thought. Uh, briefly, I, yeah, I like that idea that science should be used to facilitate natural processes, but I, with respect to, um, I mean, to play devil's advocate with something like birth control, well, I mean, it's also natural to not be fertile at times. And so one could say that using contra artificial contraception is simply enhancing that natural dimension, just to put it really briefly um, on that point. But <clears throat> I guess kind of begging or like a question that I think's begged with, with all of these points is like, um, what's, I guess, what is sacred about nature that we shouldn't violate it? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, is that important? Yeah. And like, I guess kind of to get to, to that, to answer that question, I, I think just a, a basic like anthropology is needed, right? Like, so what is mankind like at its, in its substance? And like, is that, you yeah. know, and, and like, I guess two extremes might come out. Like man is completely subject to nature. Therefore, like we shouldn't tamper with it. We are subject to it. And like, we should kind of serve that, so to speak. But then the other is that nature is completely subject to man, which means that like mm -hmm. we are in charge, we are superior to nature completely, and we should dominate it, right? And we should make nature yeah. work for us, you know? Um, so like those are the two extremes, which I don't like, I don't know if any of us would argue hard for either one, um, where there's like, I guess the other option would be instead of be like, complete subjectivity of, of one to the other would be some sort of like intermingling. And I guess that's kind of, I, I imagine where most of us would land and most, I guess probably most people would agree, but I don't know. It's hard to say um, just cause it's, there's so many specific topics that I think people would cut both ways on that. If you asked anyone, should man be subject to nature or nature subject to man? If you ask that question, I feel like people would have like very strong opinions but then if you asked a lot of like the specific issues that would kind of stem from that, they'd be all over the place. 
just because like I feel like that yeah that cuts across a lot of uh, certainly political lines but also religious lines and like a lot of other stuff too um probably mostly those though yeah yeah no absolutely <laughs> absolutely those, you know but um but yeah, like I guess what it, I mean, I think we would agree that man is part of nature. I don't know. Do you guys? Would you guys like argue against that point or <laughs> agree or disagree? Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Man is part of nature, or woman. Woman. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Although that, that reminds me of a good line that Ellie Sadler had in the movie, where where Doctor Malcolm started was like. God creates the earth. God creates yeah, dinosaurs. Like, God I destroys like the dinosaurs. God creates man. Man creates dinosaurs. And then she jumps in. Dinosaurs eat man. Women inherit the earth. Which, yeah. <laughs> you know, Ooh, I really, you, I that, really that like was, that we, line. That just deserves a round of applause. Great, great quote. There. Yeah. I like that line a lot to put a fine point on it because there's like a lot of fundamental truth yeah. to that. Like, Yes, it is men who would once say, yeah, let's clone some dinosaurs just because we can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It could have been better if you were rewriting the script in a tiny manner. If What, what was the female scientist's name? Ellie, Ellie Sadler. Yeah, you'd probably rewrite it to that, like all the men. Being like, let's do it, and her being like, but should we? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, and I think there's something like, I don't know, uniquely masculine about, like, just doing stuff just to do it. (laughs) You know, like, hey, let's build this freaking huge tower, you know, like, you know, whereas, like, eh, I don't know, and and I know that, um, I don't know, I I, I think that's like a, a, to some degree, like a, pretty common anthropological thing like women like there's a lot of like female goddesses that are described as like like the goddess of the earth or of the the ground you know whereas like male gods or goddesses you know like thor or um who's the father of thor what's his name whatever um and you know uh what's his the the egyptian the falcon um forget his name but like these the kind of like airy sorts of creatures and I, I get I don't know. I've heard that's like a common theme in like mythologies to you know to describe yeah. women as more like earthly and earth you know, and I feel like they just with like kind of their their unique ability to give birth, you know, they they're kind of more attuned with the like what's like the the facts on the ground the so nat- to speak, you know, and the natural rhythms of things. Mm-hmm. Um I think that it's in like Mankind is, I think we would all agree that mankind is also transcendent to nature, at least in some way, right? Not that we're completely beyond it, but we're at least transcendent to it. Um, and I feel like that's a key element, especially when you get to, like, I, I guess answering the question, like, what harnesses nature and what just kind of, um, yeah, what violates it. Um, and then I think kind of from that like what inventions like improve humanity and like kind of allow us to truly flourish in like every sense not just like an immediate kind of superficial sense and like which inventions kind of have more downsides than upsides or or at least it's more of a mixed bag 
go back to our earlier thesis question, which was... What is the proper um, relationship between man and nature? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one comment on that would be, like, that seems to be the overwhelming question of at least secular religion in climate change and just, like, it's, like, probably the global driving narrative. Um, They're at least top three. Um, maybe, maybe Russia and Ukraine right now, but hopefully that's a flash in the pan. I think like overall, it's like, we're so many people, we're so connected, we're using so much oil that that is the question that everyone's drawing lines and excuse me, drawing lines in the sand and trying to figure out. And, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that statement that that's a, definitely core question concerning society and even to like tie it into Russia and Ukraine right now. Um, true. They want more farmland. Well, where I was going to go with it was, you know, being someone who just at a yeah, very practical level is, uh, yeah, definitely concerned with, climate change and is bringing my own utensils on camping trips and fine china um you know i think a really like useful practical question to sort of like test one's um perspective on man's relationship to nature is this question of like energy right now like do we drill in the Arctic Wildlife Refuge or other sort of more sensitive places in order to be, you know, stop sending money to Russia? Or do we preserve that um, in the spirit of nature? And um, I suppose one could hypothetically make the argument that, oh, well, if you drill there, then it's going to put at risk more humanity later or something to that effect. But, um, I mean, man, I mean, I have to say, like, no, you, as, yeah, no, you can't be sending money to your enemy to fund a war, you know. Um, I'd certainly hate, hate to see the wildlife refuge open up for that, but. I think that's a pretty pointed moment where you're deciding, are you going to place nature above man or vice versa? One of the best answers that I've ever heard on that question is like, all right, there's a ton of oil in the vast Northern Arctic where polar bears live and it's easy to drill. Have you ever guys, have you, have you ever watched the West wing? Mm -mm. So, the, the last season they did, uh, I think it was even live, maybe. Or it, it was live-ish. The, the characters did a, like, one-hour debate. It was a fictional debate. But it was kind of like, how would Hollywood writers and even, like, old politicos imagine the perfect political debate going? Like, substantive issues and not, like, character harassment. And so, anyway, the two okay, candidates running for president debate in the west wing in this universe and alan alda's character 
was just like, you know, I I love national parks and nature, like that's big, but I also like cheap gas and oil. He's like, really, when you're trying to save the polar bears in northern Canada, like there's only about 10 people who will ever see northern Canada. They're all super rich and take a private jet. Like no, no common man is getting up there to enjoy the sight of a polar bear. Like we should drill up there and we should preserve the Rocky Mountains, like, you know, southern Canada mountains. Drill up there, that's fine. We're not going to disturb anything. No one's ever going to go there or see it. Take pictures. Preserve the stuff near people. And that's the trade-off. Like, yeah. Um, it was an interesting way to put it. That was like a very serious point in this fictional debate 25 yeah. years ago. But now we'll just be electrical and Tesla and the grid and... Elon Musk is going to stop climate change and he's going to stop an asteroid if it comes us. <laughs> and he's going to rebuild Jurassic Park the right way. But uh, uh, yeah, if anyone's going to like create a theme park, it, it would probably be him, right? Yeah, and I think uh, I think that I don't know the the polar bears thing. I mean, I, I guess I, I certainly am sympathetic to the argument that yeah, I don't. I, you know the ten rich people who see polar bears. I'm not. I don't feel sorry for. Um, you know if they had to miss out on that, but um, I think it is a little bit closer to home too for other people. With at least in terms of how a lot of that stuff goes, uh, at least comparing like cheap gas versus, um, yeah, versus like these kind of more. I, I hate to call them abstract because, like, they're real consequences, but at least kind of distant right. to our lives, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, gosh. Because, like, cheap gas does add to human flourishing, sort of. But at the, but but at at the, the same, expense. Yeah. You just, yeah. We'll just, yeah, not just avoiding that expense and making, you know, things cheaper and more accessible. But at the same time, like we live in an area or like an era of unprecedented decadence where I feel like, I mean, like slightly um, not to like because like I think we all feel some degree of the effects of inflation. And I know there are families who are struggling because of that. And, I, and I'm sympathetic to that, too. But at the same time, like there's also a lot of decadence. Um, in modern America where like, I don't know, I guess to some degree, like at some point nature, nature is going to beat the tar out of us, you know? Um, and like, maybe not, you know, I talked about like the extremes of man, like being, you know, subject to nature and nature subject to man. Like, I suppose neither is subject to the other, but like we have to live together, (laughs) you know, they're like, you know, I suppose maybe they're like neighbors, you know, next door neighbors in a way. Um, right. And you just have to find and a way quick, to interact. Yeah. Quick shout out to said prehistoric dinosaurs for the possibility of cheap oil. That's all. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers to that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Depending on the science, of course. Yeah, you know, um, hmm. you know, I mean, I think to sort of, yeah, continue thinking about this question of the proper relationship between man and nature. You, 
you know, I mean, it was articulated well by you, Matt, that, yeah, either man is subject to nature, or maybe more so just, like, supposed to be in harmony with nature, or something like that, or nature is subject to man. And, man, and this ties in really well to the David Foster Wallace episode, where Foster Wallace illustrates the... Um, Christian, who at the time would have had a uh, Bush Cheney bumper sticker, but is driving the huge gas guzzling SUV. Right. Clearly, nature is subject to man and that person's psyche. Um, versus the the Prius, who um, you know is using reusable bags, but is maybe sort of a uh, a butthole to you. Um, <laughs> they're they're a big cloud of smug, <laughs> as uh, <laughs> South Park so aptly illustrates. And it's like, yeah, how do you effectively find the middle ground? Because there's truth to both of those ideas for sure. And I think that's so core to so many different things in society, even things like. Um, racism um like there is well <laughs> yeah like how how do you deftly find that middle ground where true like human flourishing seems to take place um man i sort of want to try to explain myself a little bit like with the racism thing okay i'm gonna try yeah go <laughs> um you. there are lots of small things okay Microaggressions is obviously like a big uh, buzzword right now among um, among people, and I I strongly believe that microaggressions are a real thing. And I wouldn't necessarily use that word, but I understand what's being like described there. Um, and one way of stopping microaggressions is to make everyone terrified of being a racist. That's one way to do it. Definitely works. Which, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. But at the cost of the only thing you're going to ever think about in your life is being a racist or not. That's that that's that's what it seems to be sort of like the the balance of the scales there. Um, or um, you cultivate yourself into being this hyper conscientious person of all of the, the dimensions that there are to a person that certain person are woman. Okay. How do you respect that person? The fact that they are a woman. Okay. This particular person is black. Okay. So how do you be a little bit more conscientious of the fact that they're black? Um, you know, this person has, never heard an intellectual explanation of Catholicism. Okay, how do you articulate yourself with respect to that person, right? There's there's all of this different, like, complexity hmm. going on with all these different people, and I think that the only way that you can resolve that in this very integrated, balanced way is being a very conscientious and, I mean, frankly, just well-read person and just very, like, thoughtful person. But it's like that, that, that's so hard for so many reasons. People are intellectually limited. They're resource limited. It takes resources to become that kind of person. So it's like the, the anti-racist 
is like using a sledgehammer to beat down an eight penny nail, if that's a useful analogy or a coherent analogy. I think maybe um, I like what you're getting at because like, so I, I think maybe a, a way to, to describe this instead of man and nature being different, perhaps we need to realize that man has a nature like has a a natural element that we can't control yeah we don't get to decide like it's kind yeah. of spoken mm-hmm. to us mm-hmm. just as like nature is like we don't get to decide how gravity works you know or we don't get to decide how plants grow like or how photosynthesis happens like we kind of have to work yeah. with it yeah, like same thing with like limitations in in our humanity and we don't get to decide how race works you know, or how, you know, different, um, yeah, different, like, yeah, just how we just interact with people differently. Um, but like understanding that nature perhaps not only guides like the human interactions that you described, but I think also like should like inform how we invent and progress and discover things, you know? Hmm. And use things that we do invent, because I, I think there's things that have been invented that are good in and of themselves, but, like, certainly lead to unintended consequences, just like Jurassic Park did, you know? But perhaps, like, I guess what, I guess, are, are there any other, like, it, like elements like that? Like, or, like what's the modern-day Jurassic Park, you know? Mm. Like, the things that have been yeah. invented that, like, perhaps run contrary to our human nature, or at least... Um, provide a lot of temptation, you know, for us to violate that human nature of ours. Yeah. I don't know if it exactly fits in what you just said, but I think the, yeah, there's a couple themes we could draw out, but like the pull of progress as represented in using genetics to create dinosaurs for theme park and Dr. Ian Malcolm questioning it all. Um, <clears throat> that just seems like somewhat of an essence to like I don't know if it's western ideology or American ideology or capitalist ideology like we can do it so it's not even like the question of whether we should or not maybe it comes up but like there's just so much inertia towards like it's just going to happen mm-hmm. um and you can look at that at, at many different spheres and sectors and, and it goes, yeah, then it, it turns into like, you could probably tie racism into that or, I don't know, conquering imperialism, whatever, like, all right, this option is now on the table. We figured out how to easily sh- sail ships across the sea or send rockets to the moon or do genetics and like, once it's discovered, it's just going to go, right? Sure. I'm not sure this is what you're getting at, but I mean, that still doesn't remove the culpability or responsibility of every person who has the practical capacity yeah. to decide. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't. Um, and maybe that's where we're also progressing is that we do ask, should we, more than. Mm. 
maybe maybe that's like the only defining thing of like this century so far is we ask that question more hmm. yeah like I, that's how i would boil down i don't know are we asking that question the last 25 years since this movie came out is sure. like should we I guess are we asking that question more now because we've progressed as like a human race in like the sort of hyper intellectual and ethical mass of people or is it because I I suspect it's because our problems are are less significant at least thinking in like general yeah. western world yeah. like obviously there, there's right. a lot of terrible things going on in, in a lot of the world but like at least kind of general western civilization like our problems are so minimal or so either minimal or the types of things that will always be there in terms of just like human error and vice and whatever um that like yeah at least the west problems are yeah yeah, yeah that that like oh well actually <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa maybe we don't need to vacation to mars and maybe we should just like learn how to grow crops better or you know just because i mean most of the inventions have been at least in some part to alleviate human suffering, right? Like in terms of progression in farming or um, transporting things and like refrigeration and electricity. Like it's really only the last 40 years maybe where it's like, oh, actually we really didn't need television, you know? <laughs> we really didn't need, you know, certain things. Well, I mean, I think one dimension to, to it is that we have more uh, leisure time, sort of like you're saying there. But I think another dimension is the fact that we have social media, which gives weight to opinions, which may or not may or may not deserve weight. Right. I mean, traditionally, the only opinions that were expressed were the ones in editorials in newspapers or TV and yeah I mean that requires like certain effort that's like substantial like you have probably have to write letter after letter to the editor to eventually get it published you're not going to publish something that's doesn't have capitalized letters the start of a sentence <laughs> or misspellings or all these simple things that that matter <laughs> that, yeah. that make a difference I think at least published opinions is new. Sure. I think everybody's yeah. always had. And when it, then when it becomes published, it gains traction and weight and, you know, yeah. all, these, all these other things. I think, I like, push, the... I would push back a little bit that, like, we are new to doing the questioning. Um, That's always fair. I feel like, yeah. in some ways, I think it's, like, science is progressing faster to the point where we can like see the effects of it almost immediately. So or like project them. So like there's a big argument over nuclear arms because we dropped one. You know what I mean? So like sure. Um I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of a I don't know and I'm not a historian, so I don't know this for certain, but I feel like I would just wonder a little bit like I don't know if we're necessarily the first person to say should we or so much as like maybe we've seen some negative effects and been like oh crap should we have done that you know I don't know if we're Ian Malcolm so much as we're like the people that just got eat that just saw people get eaten and been like oh should they have mm. done that you know what I mean mm. I just think that um I don't know I I don't know where I'm going with that because I don't know the answer to it but I would just question that a little bit I don't know if we're quite as 
you know, I don't know if we have as much foresight so much as hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, yeah, and it depends on who you mean by we, because I, I think like Silicon Valley types, I've heard it like they're, what is it? Uh, I've heard it described as, um, what the heck is it? Like techno-utopianism, I think is, is right. how I've heard that described is like technology will save the world because once we develop this perfect yeah. um, way to predict crime via social media and behavior analysis, like there will be no more crime, you know, and these sort of, uh, right. what, what was the minority report types of things that are actually being, you know, thought of and discussed and, and talked about, you know, which yeah. when the movie came out, it was like, oh, that'll never happen. It's like, oh, crap. <laughs> now, now people are talking about it, but um, but yeah, mm-hmm. are there, I guess, what, um, what invention, are there any like specific things that you guys are talking about? Because I think we do question things more than I, probably the techno utopians and yeah. kind of the general public who's just kind of more interested in, you know, the newest, whatever. Modern, modern day Jurassic parks. Yeah. Modern earlier. day Jurassic parks. Yeah. Yes. I guess like. Just That's, like more specifically, all right, go ahead. I was gonna throw out like um, smartphones slash social media. All right. Yeah. Um. I guess yeah. I guess I'll explain a little bit. Like the idea of almost like we're creating a space where people can talk and communicate, but it seems like in a very unhuman way i guess i'll say um so to maybe push my point a little bit more um we talked a little bit ago about like human flourishing and like what science contributes to that and what doesn't and i just i remember when we did like most of us here have done like the exodus 90 program and i felt very free and almost better when I wasn't reading internet posts. Um, I didn't feel like I missed out on anything. I didn't feel any dumber. I didn't feel less connected to the world, but I felt just better. Um, So I've questioned sometimes if by creating this really cool technology that does all this cool stuff is actually just hurting us more than it's helping us. Yeah, so I mean, this isn't necessarily... Well, I mean, I say these are... I mean, Matt wrote down farming, GMOs, food processing, capitalism's Green New Deal, transgenderism. Well, that's OC. I still don't know where you're going with that. <laughs> I know it is, but. I don't think Laudato C is a Jurassic Park. I'm just saying it comments on similar themes. <laughs> but... Hold on. What What even is that? I didn't have time to look that up. What is that? Francis should not have written it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Laudato Si is an encyclical by Pope Francis that speaks a lot to like ecology and our care for the earth, and it's uh, just like the Christian and obviously more specifically like the Catholic um, kind of. Uh, Francis wrote it. Yeah, Pope Francis wrote it. The, yeah, basically the the Catholic understanding of of our responsibilities on that front, um, and like how that. I need. Yeah. So fascinating i haven't heard of it sounds like i need to read it and i yeah G- gmos i sort of have some thoughts that i think could be uh interesting to run with here 
Yeah, it. Um, I mean, you could even, you know, you fat, you rewind the clock back to seventy-five years ago. Every farmer had cows and chickens running over acres. They, you know, you rotated cattle with corn, with soybeans, with three other crops. You know, apples used to be grown in Iowa everywhere, and there's just been like as as with the entire economy it's like it's been just specialized down to what can we do the best the most of um and that's taken a lot of the diversity out of it um plus the pretty pretty strong correlation to the industrial war machine world war Two, cranking out a lot of chemicals it's like well these used to make bombs what else can we do with them they do replenish soil nutrients pretty well. Um, and like that, that all just turned into the machine that we have in America and Brazil and Ukraine, um, maybe Russia. Europe didn't, they stayed fairly organic and then everywhere else in the world is super small plots that aren't that industrialized. But yeah, like was it, was it necessary? Did it feed the world? If if you'd redraw the whole, the whole highest and best use of every square inch of planet Earth, would you would you do it this way? I don't know. So, <clears throat> uh, to saying the theme of like cursory commentary on GMOs, I think that what's sort of striking to me, that sticks out to me, is its relationship to, um, I guess I would say, like, granola Catholics. Yeah. I mean, you know what granola, granola people are. I can picture so, it, yeah. Yeah, you can sort of, yeah. like, guess what a granola can. I, I sort of think of myself to that extent. And I see Like, it. the way I think, I think of myself in that way is that, yeah, I'm going to avoid taking Tylenol if I have a headache. But I won't not take it. <laughs> um, well, and like, what, go ahead. No, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And so, with something like GMOs, which like most food is, of course, unless it's labeled organic, it's it's much easy. It's much easier to say, yeah, I've got a really bad headache. But I'm not going to take a Tylenol because it's like, mm, I can sort of just suck it up and not take this, not take this Tylenol. And once it gets to a certain point, like, okay, I'll take a Tylenol. With GMOs, there's something there which I find, um, well, there's a, there's a few different angles which I, I don't like. Um, when people when people take an anti-GMO stance. Um, yeah. And it is, to put it most succinctly, I think that it's a very privileged stance because, of course, organic food costs about 40 times more than regular food. Um, but then, of course, you also have to have, like, the breakdown, too, of, like, what you mean by organic. Like, Okay, organic because it doesn't have chemicals. Okay, that that I can respect a little bit more because it's like no chemical is good for you. No one should be like chugging glyphosate. <laughs> um, yeah. But 
the other dimension. And so if you can afford it, like, okay, that, that that's your prerogative. But from the standpoint of GMOs as being like this abstract sort of disembodied evil, that I take a little bit greater of an issue with. Yeah. Um, because there's no way that we're going to support um, 8 billion or 9 billion plus people on organic farming. So what's the come away? We're going to just only feed the world's elite well, <laughs> with whole foods. Yeah. I always do think it's important to point out that while there's some offshoot potato, apple and pineapple varieties, when you're talking GMOs, it's only corn, soybeans, canola, alfalfa, cotton. Mm. Cotton yeah. you just wear. Who cares? I mean, maybe. Well, some people do. Oh, yeah. But, like, you're not eating it. Alfalfa, you're not eating alfalfa. Cows are eating alfalfa. Canola. All right, so maybe you're a big canola oil person. But then you get down to soybean and maize, and, like, that's really just... Are you buying... Are you buying fresh f- fruit, veggies, meat? Or are you buying like cereals in the preservative aisle? Like it's it's in terms of like health and diet. Like yeah, if you pick up something that can last on your shelf six months, it's probably got a GMO soybean or corn product in it. If you're just leaning yep. in on like health whole thirty type foods, you're not gonna run up against the GMO fence really ever. Um. So let, let me tidy up my thought with one last point. I, so the issue the issue that I take like as a whole with um, the especially the granola Catholic sense since they're they're my people, my tribe, it, it makes me like very nervous and uncomfortable when people whom I identify with on like other things right that I consider very important to me are rejecting other things, which I feel like are rooted in like really solid science um, for the general well-being of other people, especially when certain like accusations are made that um, uh, <laughs> certain accusations are made about like the intentions of people who like develop these things or something. What well, one thing that like sticks out to me, I'll try and make it like super brief. I remember my mom mentioning uh, the father of a family friend. He worked for Monsanto mm-hmm. and they were charged by the government to develop an artificial sweetener that didn't have calories. And that's how like splint or aspartame came about. Mm-hmm. Now I don't use aspartame because I don't think it's healthy for you, but at the same, but the point, the point I'm making here is that, the development of aspartame was like this very like good natured endeavor. Um, it was, even though I don't think it's good for you, I think it's something to be avoided. It's like, it was, it was made in, yeah, uh, with good intentions. And yeah, the idea that, that, that there's, there's these nefarious uh, pursuits of uh, different people. And that's why that you should not consume X, Y, or Z. Like, mm, Yeah. So, okay, I'll cut myself off there. Quick interjection. Granola Catholic, that Twitter handle has been taken. Mm. 
Bummer. Um, she is a she's a mother of three in Oklahoma. Take it up with Lisa, man. I don't know. She's got four hundred followers. There you go. Hey, that's more than this. Yeah, I was gonna say that's uh, our best episodes at two fifty. I think so. Well, and most of those are bought. Touche, granola Catholic. Touche. <laughs> But uh, in terms of other inventions and discoveries, so I, I think the GMO front, fairly well publicized. Social media, I think, has been very well publicized. Uh, see the movie Social Dilemma if you haven't. There are a few others I threw out there that might be a little out there in terms of, like, the social ills that come from them. Uh, one is television. I think that's fair enough. People used to call it the boob tube. Right, so like I feel like there's at least a little bit of a stigma about TV, and the obvious ails that come from that, or indulging too much in that sort of thing. But on a societal level, uh, the book Bowling Alone actually does a really good job of kind of describing first the breakdown of kind of social fabric and community involvement, but then also like the reasons why. And they actually highlight. I mean, they admit that it's that they can't do this with mathematical precision per se, but. Um, but they do cite TV as perhaps one of the leading, if not the largest impact um, in terms of like just societal things that have led to, to less community involvement over the last, uh, I don't know, 50 to 70 years or so. Um, another one, and again, this isn't something that shouldn't be, but something that I think perhaps is overused is uh, nursing homes and retirement communities. I think that might be, a, to some degree, a Jurassic Park. Not that the old people are going to eat us, but uh, but <laughs> like a zombie movie. Yeah, that would be wild. <laughs> but to some degree, elders are um, effectively quarantined from the rest of society uh, via this sort of thing. Um, I worked at an assisted living facility. Uh, for a brief period of time, just looking for different jobs um, on the way to finding my way to Peoria. Um, and I definitely saw this there. Granted, it was COVID, so kind of unusual circumstances. But at the same time, a lot of the, I mean, several of them had mentioned that their family members hadn't visited them in months mm. or years even. You know, at least with certain no, certain yes. family members, you know, their grandkids maybe. Um, maybe their kids, they have, you know, one or two contacts who come frequently and no one else really pays attention. So, like... Yeah, I mean, I think to some, you know, in most other parts of the world, elders kind of are integrated in, you know, the family life and society, and you know, they, st you know, there's intergenerational living, and um, I feel like that's like a uh, good way for like, I don't know, old people that are not depressed because they're kind of part of the the scene, and younger people like actually get to glean some wisdom, perhaps, hopefully, from their their elders. Um, the last one, which this might be. A little more pushback is the car that's right the car um i don't know i feel like it's uh to a lot i suppose i don't have a specific citation for like the societal ills but um i feel like it leads for larger more corporate types of like shopping and store things as opposed to like local smaller stores that foster community and are responsible to one another um Instead of living down the street from your mechanic who you can confront if he rips you off, you know, now it's just some nameless, faceless person who, you know, you just write a review on mm -hmm. Yelp and maybe that trickles down somewhere. Um, 
and then people ignore their neighbors. Obviously, there's the environmental impact of, of cars. And a quote from a guy named Mark Barnes. Um, he is a writer for New Polity Press. Uh, he says, when you have a car in a world made for feet, you are a god. When you have a car in a world made for cars, you are in traffic. Uh, which I think is interesting because I, I, yeah, if you were to live in a way where you, you uh, obviously not everyone's able to do this just based on geography, but if you were to be in a scene where you could walk from place to place and like interact with people um, and were forced to act, interact more locally, um, perhaps that would be a, a more enriching life, at least in some ways. Um, so anyway. A few little odds and ends. Mark there. Barnes, he was like that rebel Catholic blog. Yeah, so yeah, his original, yeah, his blog back in the day was bad Catholic, but I guess he's he's writing for a yeah, publishing company of some sort, New Polity Press. So, anyway, jumping off your car thought, and I think you brought this up in the outline, but like kind of another question to dive into a little bit outside of just our kind of our theme of our thesis of you know man's relationship to nature is your question was, which is more responsible for the failure of Jurassic Park, mm. the power of nature or man's fall in nature? So mm. I feel like it's probably, we should probably at least just talk a little bit, like it's not necessarily that these things are good or bad. There's also the possible for possibility just for misuse, you know? So like, yeah, like I'm sure all those things about the car you said, I don't deny it. Like, yeah, those are some pretty interesting thoughts. And yet at the same time, like, we all go camping twice a year, and if we didn't have cars, we wouldn't get to do that. And I think that that we would say that those camping trips add to our lives a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, yeah, so I think it's just kind of an, uh, probably fair to address a little bit the the idea. It doesn't have. It's not just like oh, this is bad or this is good. Mm-hmm. So much as it's like we might also just be misusing something. If that makes sense, um, as opposed to like the objective goodness or badness of a certain scientific invention or idea because i'm still kind of on the fence like if if, i don't know like could we make like if we could make dinosaurs should we i still haven't answered the question yet in my own mind is that is that the question how would we yeah i actually haven't even thought about that and i think if you if you pay attention to the movie of like the kind of finer plot points because like a big reason why Jurassic Park failed was of, uh, what's his name? Uh, the computer guy, the fat guy. Yeah. You know, basically was, right. was so you know. Newman. Yeah. <laughs> if we just had the operational efficiencies, it'd be a fine idea. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, to a large degree, like, if he didn't totally, <laughs> you know, whatever. But, you know, I think, and, and I think that speaks to Ross's point, too. But, but there's always going to be a Newman. You know, I think sure. is the underlying yeah. point. Hmm. This is, but there's a Newman everywhere in every endeavor. Exactly. Like there's a Newman. Exactly. There's a Newman in like the COVID vaccine rollout, or yeah, like yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say like yeah. like does does the Newman like that? That's almost not part of the debate. Like if everything's perfect besides Newman, is it good? Yeah. Or if. Newman's gonna be in everything. Should we not do it? Oh, mm. yeah. And I no, dude. That's like that might be it. Cause like, cause <laughs> social social media. Newman. It's like you have a million Newmans. So maybe we just shouldn't yeah. Do yeah. That. It's it's, mo- it's you know, mostly like, Newman. Like nursing homes. It's like yeah, yeah most people but... are using that wisely, and they're not just trying to you know <laughs> kick their you know 
elders out. Um, but hold on, hold on, hold on. But in fairness to, I would argue that even the Newmans are not the core reason for the shortcomings of social media, just to put it like super briefly. Like, sure, even, no, that's true. You, even myself, since of course I'm such a saint, like have struggles, <laughs> have struggles with social media. <laughs> For sure. I'm not sure what you mean, but I'll just believe you. No, I, I get what, the you, point I get what being, you mean, Mike, because there, there are people who are above the, the Newman level, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, who are, exactly. Who are, still waste their well, life. Well, I mean, on to some degree, media. I think maybe they are the Newmans still. Just because they're rich and and smart doesn't mean they're yeah. not Newmans. And in, in insofar yeah, as Newman means someone who is abusing yeah. uh, their power for you know nefarious purposes. Yeah. you know, there's a Newman inside Everyone. all of us to put a finer point on the metaphor. <laughs> I love how it's, that's just, not just even the character. Full name. credit. <laughs> For full credit, his character name was Dennis Nedry. Nedry. Yeah. There's a there's Dennis a Nedry. And the actor's name is Wayne Elliott Knight. Um Man. which I don't think I've ever heard in my life. But uh yeah. There you go. Alright. So I don't want to steal Matt's show, but I have an interesting thought here. Oh, do it. So man. I feel like we've been playing a lot of hindsight's twenty twenty. Sure. Right, we've talked about GMOs; they've existed for a long time. We've talked about social media; we grew up with it. We've talked about cars; hundred years old. We got like, one. <laughs> what What do you guys think about like the actual things we could be an EM Malcolm for? Ooh. So like things that are like happening now, like not well, I can sound cool because I can read something about it because it's somebody else has already written about it, but like yeah, man. What are the, not the Jurassic Park, I mean, maybe that is the question, like, what are the Jurassic Parks? But, like, what are the things that are, you know, are, could we currently actually question? Is is this our final roundup question? Because it's, like, 2 a.m. here in Southern Illinois. <laughs> I feel like this would be a good, and, but, yeah, I don't know if we need, like, a one concise answer. But I like, I like where you're going with this. I've I've got. But let's call this our final. We can keep chatting if something special yeah. comes we'll up. Call it you the know, final. One. I think it. that's fair. I hope Landon has a next episode ready by the time this is done. I do, and I'll answer the question last. Ooh, my dad is hoping his Independence Day speech from Bill Paxton. I'll I'll throw my answer out. Um, I think genome editing in humans. That is. I think that will be something that um, we not only can be, but I think should be Ian Malcolm's for. Um, I think that completely devalues the human person to, uh, I guess it, it treats the human person as a summation of their genetic prowess as, as opposed to like an inherently valuable person or inherently valuable thing, like despite their... Um, genetic defects um even if they do lead to suffering you know what i mean um obviously you don't want people to suffer from genetic ills um you know like muscular dystrophy or something but i feel like genome editing like to the point where like oh yeah we're just gonna you know edit everyone's gene or you will allow you to edit your genes to make sure your kids don't have you know x y or z like cystic fibrosis or down syndrome or something you know um, 
I don't think that's here yet. It's certainly not like a popular common thing they're doing, but I know it's like seems to be an emerging field. I feel like to treat people like they're the summation of their genetic prowess is is inherently dehumanizing. So I I, don't know, I think it is interesting and on point here to sort of articulate that distinction between the extent to which genetics defines who you are and what you are and to the extent to which your will and agency defines who you are and what you are. And I think a really like useful analogy or metaphor or illustration is like with running where it's like <clears throat> no one cares who the first genetically capable person was to run a sub four minute mile, right? I mean, that person could have theoretically existed, you know, a hundred thousand years ago or something like that. People care who applied the will to put forth the work and was in a certain amount of like synergy with their environment to make that happen. Roger Bannister. And then John Landy. And like the point that I'm making here is this, like with gene editing, whether it's respect to cloning or something else like that, you know, where it's, um, you know, genetic engineering your children or something, there is something that just feels very, very raw, very core. The fact that people love at some level seeing what the universe gives you mm. and running with mm. it literally or metaphorically depending upon upon discipline but at some level too of course we also just want to see oh man hey how strong could we make a person hey how good looking could we make could we make my child um which which i think is something but yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, yeah, how do you, like, resolve that? You just, you have to go back to these kinds of conversations is that people will always remember who Roger Bannister was. No one knows who in the hell was the first genetically capable person to run a sub-four-minute mile. And it, it speaks into this, like, just fundamental truth that <laughs> I've been thinking that Jordan Peterson brings a lot of brings up a lot the idea of the a priori knowledge like what is the a priori knowledge that knowledge which you just simply know right and so yeah so i think all about like what is that and i dare say that one of those things is that what the universe gives you or god gives you or anything in between that has some sort of fundamental sacred value which is not to be touched i think that i dare say that everyone believes that mm. ross did you have one in mind for what we should be EMF for? Have a, man i actually have a couple Ooh. but um i think i'll start with probably the most controversial and the one that i think is probably most actually applicable and practical um and i i think from what Mike just said is like a practical application of somewhat similar he was saying but I think the question I'm gonna try to say this articulate this well to cut to make my point because I'm not trying to 
you know, started like a political discussion. But with with transgenderism, um, obviously there are people that truly, you know, have like gender dysphoria, like truly, you know, like the the way the way they identify is different from their body and all of that. Um, I think particularly though how we treat it in children, um, with like puberty blockers and hormone blockers and things like that. Um, I think that is a very practical place to say, should we, um, just because we can. And I mean, the fact that I bring it up probably kind of gives my opinion away on it. And I'm not trying to bring it up as like a, oh, you know, let's start a super controversial discussion, but just, just keeping that idea in mind of, um, you know, when someone is very young, uh, unformed, you know, frontal lobes not fully developed, all that type of stuff, like, you know, just because we can, like, should we really do this right now? Um, I think it's just, uh, no matter who you talk to, I think she would probably agree, like, you know, take a breath and at least ask that question, um, would be a kind of Ian Malcolm question of today. Mm. Ross, I'm going to NPS. I'm not going to podcast scared. You threw out the word frontal lobe like you knew what it was. What's a frontal lobe other than it's in your brain? It's actually the lobe that's in the front of your brain. <laughs> uh, no, so it, it helps. It's like executive function, decision making, that type of thing. Um, yeah. So it's not actually fully developed until you're... Don't quote me, like... 20 to 22 somewhere in that ballpark i don't think um the last one anyway probably so like either way like a 16 year old kid like you can like literally i'm not saying like as some like oh you can't expect him blah blah like like biologically scientifically like you cannot expect a teenager let alone like a five-year-old right yeah it's not even 16 it's like the conversation is more like eight right now right so like just the idea and I mean, just as like a parent, like we, I struggle with this a lot because like you, you want so hard to like reason with your child and you need to in some ways because they need to hear like what problem solving sounds like and what reasoning sounds like. But like from a straight like biological standpoint, like you, you, you just can't expect anyone below that age to make like fully reasonable, rational decisions. Um, so that's kind of why I said, I think part of why, especially in children, if you can't make expect them to fully make a reasonable, rational decision, and that's not even a controversial statement, should we, Ian Malcolm, like, should we expect them to make a reasonable, rational decision about their life? Um, so I just think that that's a place we can kind of step back and maybe ask that question a little bit. To sort of tie in my previous point of a priori knowledge, <laughs> something I do think, and what Ross just said, I do think it's interesting, like, why, why is, and you guys can agree or disagree, why is gender something that apparently has become a priori knowledge? Like, it's something that sort of um, uh, is outside of the capacity for others to know. Like, it doesn't matter if a hundred or a thousand or a million people think that you're a boy if you think that you're a girl that is what you are because it is a, a priori night i and 
frankly, if someone like wanted to disagree with that, like, oh no, no, that's that's not what it like. I don't know. I I frankly don't see how you could get around that that argument that okay, you're going you're going to say that you know these a priori things no longer exist. This is what it is. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's not... Because, I, I mean, I do certainly agree with Ross. And I remember, I don't know, for some weird reason, like growing up watching 2020 or Dateline, you know, every once in a blue moon, they'd have some episode where they interviewed a, um, a man or a woman who you know, struggled for their entire, their entire life, um, of this dissonance between their, what they were ascribed biologically versus what they felt inside and tried everything to get it right. And eventually came upon something else and found some peace with that. Like that makes a lot more sense. Um, versus the eight year old is, Ross describes where it's just they just they seem in fairness they seem to magically know what their gender is in contrast to everyone else yeah that resonates with me I do I don't know what TV I was watching or but it seems like yeah circa 1998 or 2002 like a fairly I don't plausible normal i don't know what the right word is like story of a unique outlier situation is like all right yeah. yeah not what i would do not what i would recommend but sure um but it i don't know 2022 feels different and more right that same thing that was like interesting story 25 years ago is like should yeah. we? <laughs> Something's changed. <laughs> so, Landon, what's what's um, your uh, modern day direct? Oh wait, Ross, do you have something? We all, I also think we should all answer the question: If we could actually make Jurassic Park, should we make Jurassic Park? Yeah, oh. we we should answer that question. I'll I'll wrap up. Our next speech will be. Um, well, no, no, well, don't no. say it yet because I have well, to move it my, around. No, it is. It's the next speech, though. Oh. Okay. What a tie-in. We, we, I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> so we can do that, and then we'll do the quick fire round to finish this out. What do we do the dinosaurs? Sci-fi, at its core, is man versus machine. We need to go to the original man versus machine. We're going to look at some Rocky quotes. Rocky Ford. <laughs> no, 2000, 2001, A Space Odyssey, the origin Ooh. of sci-fi by the great... Stanley Kubrick, what what does the machine have to say about us, mm. and how do we interact yeah. with it? I've been looking for excuse to watch that. So this is you got to watch it. It's it's a tough movie. I yeah, it's tough. You should watch it. It's a little awkward, but it was in the '60s, even before we went to the moon. Um, and we're gonna dive into it. What AI? Is moon? Exactly. The first, I remember I first took time to watch it and like the first 20 minutes I was like, what is going on? When is this going to start? And yet reflecting on those, the first 20 minutes is all honestly like probably the best part. And it's crazy how relevant it is to our lives.
today. So that's the that's the cliffhanger. There you go. Is Donald Trump in it? Like he made a cameo in the Sandlot? <laughs> no, but let's let's do the quick fire round. We're in this boardroom. We're grilling Malcolm and what's his name, John Hammond. Hammond. And we're the investor. Maybe we're the investor writing the check. Are we gonna fund this thing or not? Or we are. We're like they need the last ten million to make this operation hum do we write the check or don't we i'm frankly just knee-jerk reaction gonna go with the way that matt articulated uh something in the notes of i'm gonna be the conservative uh scientific entrepreneurial they're on an island they have that lysine thing going for them where they can like kill yeah that was the part i didn't catch when i first watched it a single pulse of energy. <laughs> I'm saying build Jurassic Park, you know? Just tell kids to keep their arms and legs inside of the car. <laughs> what was the license? Yeah, I have no thing? idea what that know. means. <laughs> yeah, that I think that you need to read the book. It's, a bit, That's something okay. it's such a small, a subtle about. part of the movie. Basically, there's this protein lysine that the dinosaurs are engineered to not be able to produce on their own, and I guess somehow they're allowed to like, or they're, they have the capacity to like disable that, so all the dinosaurs die. Why didn't they do that? I don't know. It seems like that was a missed opportunity. Yeah, John Hammond dropped the ball on that, but. Well, I think they all they all did die on the island, but there's the other island. They had lysine apparently. So the lost the lost world. <laughs> so so lysine is the the main ingredient of soybeans and it was the There were soybeans. It was the protein. It was the protein that was the key plot of um the Decatur ADM movie with Matt Damon. Interesting. All right, I'm going to go the opposite route. I say, no, man. Chaos Theory was convincing. I'm not writing the check. You Luddite. Fair <laughs> enough. Go back to your Amish house. I would probably also, to be honest, I think I would say do it. To try to put some sort of thought to it, I think I would separate a little bit. Somewhat like Matt said at the very beginning, man is transcendent to nature. So I think tampering with nature is different than tampering with humans so i think that when it comes to nature like cloning a mouse or something like i think i would be okay with that i think i might take that back in three weeks but right now my first thought is yeah build jurassic park if you build it they will come the visitors (laughs) and i'll be rich I feel like it's going to take a lot more than $10 million to break even on that, Landon. All right, Landon, $10 million bucks. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Can you make it happen like or not? $10 billion. Oh, gosh. I would say I was, right before Ross spoke, I was easily like, nope. I, I, if I was in the boardroom, I heard Ian talk. I'm like, you know what? Good luck, you crazy, crazy John. I'm out. Um, Ross, very strong argument. I think we we have dominion over nature, and if if we have the ability to do this, we we could. If that is what progress suggests, but but I'm I'm still gonna be out. I'm gonna be like, no, uh, a lot of a lot of evil people in the world. I don't it's want a lot to of have a T-Rex. Out there. 
And like it's it's not like T Rex would take out a whole population, but like he'd do some damage to like probably like a random set of people. They don't care if you have a gun or not, they're just gonna eat you, like I mean we can't we can't kill a grizzly bear with a shotgun. I mean how are we gonna stop a T Rex? Right. Or a Velociraptor. No, I'm out. I'm out. There you go. Okay. It's me and you, Ross. That's right. We'll be rich. What should we have at the buffet? T Rex. <laughs> the ice cream's great, spare no expense. You can actually eat T Rex at my park. Yeah, I like how spare no expense. And for a Ross is a like we're gonna we're, <laughs> Ross is like, we're changing the model. You're not gonna like see him in the wild. It's mostly a steakhouse. <laughs> we grow them out back, and you can just come in and <laughs> sample it while you have like lions. You know what somebody would pay to come on a T Rex? Big bucks. have a last church retreat for my faith and work program and then final prep will be in Europe all of June so we're about to fly the coop Europe United States 2.0 <laughs> or like, negative 2.0 I um we're gonna we're gonna spend a couple hours maybe a half day in um in Oxford Whoa. And I've got the, the Eagle and the... Oh, Eagle and Child Pub? Yeah. You're going That's to Eagle basic... and Child? No way, yeah. dude. Oh. Heck yeah. Yeah, so... All I heard was Oxford and Eagle, and I knew exactly what you were yep. talking about. I was like, we're, we're going to train it out there for a day. And I was like, there's only one place I want to see and spend all day. And it's in the back corner mm. of this one little mm-hmm. pub. Mm-hmm. Bird and, and the I'm baby. Gonna... The bird and the baby. I'm just going to, like, like sit there... Have a pint and text you guys and see what we come up with. So, is that worth the inklings drink? Yeah. Mm. yeah. I'm reading the fellowship right now. Love it. Oh, dude, I was just thinking about starting like, that. I feel like you've read that like 70 times. <laughs> I am quite a Lord of the Rings fan, though every time I read it, I'm just like, this is so good. And actually, like, I have it's not. entertaining. It lifts the heart in a way that, like, almost a religious text does. It's just so good. I have not only not read the books, I've never even seen any of the what? films all Are the you? way through. <laughs> Actually, that's I, kind of like some, some coming, someone coming up to you from New York City and being like, not only have I never gone camping, I've never <laughs> even walked outside. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not quite as extreme. 